Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! <laughs> Welcome to the Forbidden Technique Podcast. Me, your host, Silas Martin. My co-host is always Christian Reynolds. And today, we've got another guest. Uh, Pippa, formerly of the Fight Site, now doing his own thing on Sweet Punch Memories. How's it going, Pippa? Yeah, it's good to have you on the show and to talk about some pretty interesting fights today. At the top of this pay-per-view, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Chan Sung Jung, the Korean Zombie. And uh, Aljamain Sterling rematching PEN. Some other stuff on this card that's interesting. It's not the most stacked pay-per-view, but uh, getting to see Hamzak Maev is always exciting. Should be a, hopefully a pretty stiff test for him at the top of the welterweight division. But, uh, I mean, let's just get right into the title fights. Yeah, Alexander Volkanovsky fighting the Korean Zombie. A little bit of a weird one. Came out of nowhere just uh, due to Max Holloway pulling out of the third fight that was booked, and they're just not really being a ready contender uh, waiting in the division at the time, so Korean Zombie stepping up, and some people seem to be kind of mad about it. I'm, like, cool with it, particularly the Korean Zombie, you know. It's, al- it's almost like a Lifetime Achievement Award kind of thing. Just let him have one last crack at the title at this point in his career. Why the fuck not? And this fight, you know, uh, seems uh, pretty open and shut because uh, the Korean Zombie... Good at countering jabs, and he can uh, dip short guys into uppercuts and then follow up with a left hook. And you really got to ask yourself, how different really is Alexander Volkanovsky to like Dennis Bermudez? No, but like, okay, seriously, um, uh, Pippa, what what makes Alexander Volkanovsky such a special fighter? Well, I think he's the one from all the roster, maybe. With Petrian, the one that controls what happened in the cage the most and the better. And so, actually, this fight that you mentioned, it can be very exciting if you see the old zombie. Like, if you see really someone who's very chaotic, who walks in chaos, fighting against someone who, who, who's a control freak in Volkanovski. And um, what <laughs> makes Volkanovski different than Bermudez? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything he can do everything. he's a short guy he's a wrestle boxer yeah but he's not just gonna throw jab and kick and reset and doing all the fight everything he does works for a game plan but I think it's still a risky fight for, for Volkanovski for like the two first ones though but um, there is something that worries me for for the Korean zombies like just the, the kick because we haven't seen Volkanovski kick too much lately I think he said in the Holloway rematch, his leg was still sore from the first fight, where he used it a lot. And against Ortega, it didn't work because Ortega kept catching um, Volkanovski low kick to send him to the ground and eventually try to choke him. So he stopped kicking after that because he's not really a sweat on the high kick. But this time, I think against Zombie, just going to jab and mix the first step and kick his leg off. So things going to be tough for Zombie after two or three rounds to... Just be on this front foot like he wants. 
Yeah, definitely. Because um, Volkanovski, he is just maybe the most strategically adaptable fighter in the sport. And um, Korean Zombie, it's an interesting career arc because he came up as just like, like you were saying, this insane action brawler would just walk forward and just have stupid exchanges. Um, but like, um, as he's gone into the later stages of career, he's settled a lot more into this just like, uh, like old man counter-punching and control wrestling kind of style because something that he's always had in his back pocket um, that a lot of people still underrate is that he's a really s- solid grappler. That's my problem with the zombie, just to finish on this, is that I don't know which one is going to show up. Like, I, I love the counter-punching part from zombie where he destroyed a lot of people that I like, but uh, he did it very well. But like for, when I see his last fight, I see someone try to fight discipline and to control his opponent. And I wonder if he did it just because the skill level were so different from like this next opponent. And he did just to have like a safe win, or is it really something that is, is focused and want to work on? Like I don't want to see like a shy zombie that does nothing all fight long because he was so scared of Volkanovski defense threat. I want to see him go hard and early. Yeah, so so Christian, you know, if the Korean zombie is leaning more into this like a more patient counter punching kind of role. You know, wh- why do you think that's going to be hard against Alexander Volkanovsky? Uh, feints mostly. I don't think Volkanovsky's going to have too much difficulty getting around Korean Zombie's defense. It's like pretty standard. He just like tries to slip either left or right and then come up with either an uppercut or an overhand. Uh, he- he's got some other like looks. You know, if his opponent is dipping too much towards Korean Zombie's left, he'll just pop a left hook on your face. He can also jab you pretty well, but like. Volkanovski's handled better jabbers and he's also handled like similar type of jabbers. I, I like the Chad Mendez fight for Volkanovski is also kind of an example that maybe if he gets into a brawl with Korean zombie, he might just win. So even in Korean zombies, one area where he probably has an advantage, which is the pocket. Uh, it's still not like guaranteed for him. And Volkanovski is shown to recovery to be able to handle getting fucked up pretty badly and then recovering. So I think just on physicality, the the cardio difference, the fact that Green Zombie's kind of getting older and Volkanovski's like de- almost definitely in his prime right now. I just don't think there's a way that Green Zombie's going to be able to land his counter shots. And also, he's he's very rote. And a planner like Volkanovski's definitely going to be wise to everything that Green Zombie's coming in with. Because the thing about a thing about Korean Zombie is that like his defense in a vacuum can be pretty good. Like he, he can be pretty active about picking shots off. But at this point, I really do think he, he wants to be counter punching. And because he himself is prone to eating hard counters when he's forced to lead. And I just think, um, Alexander Volkanovsky, like you said, is really just going to be able to control the initiative with the feints make Korean zombie uncomfortable and force him to throw back in positions where Volk has the initiative and is able to land, you know, counters of his own in the next layer of the exchange. Cause like you say, he's, he, he's just one of the most like thinking fighters in the sport today. And Korean zombie, 
it's a very tough out for almost everyone at the top end of the of the featherweight division. But his his tendencies that have led him to lose have just been more and more documented. And like you say, he's he's getting older and doesn't seem to have the like insane durability that he once had that carried him through those wars, which I think is why he's leaning into a more cautious and controlled style. Um, and while it seems like he might be able to have some moments doing that stuff, like I joked about it earlier, but, you know, Alexander Volkanovsky got dropped by Max Holloway from dipping into a counter right uppercut left hook. It's like one of Korean Zombies' things that he's really good at, and, you know, if he lands that same shot, it might just hit a lot fucking harder than when Max Holloway lands it. But, um... Pretty hard to pick him in this matchup at this point. Yeah, I would say it's a pretty safe bet to actually pick Volkanovski by a wide decision, but it's also a safe bet to pick that he's gonna get dropped. <laughs> like this is one of the fights that I see like this, that he's gonna have maybe winning eighty percent of the fight, but that the zombie will have a few few big moments. But I think uh, more than all we think, all, all the thing we said about Volkanovski. Like the the round he had with Ortega, like one three and one four, when he came back from big submission sweat stuff like this, and the cardio he has in oh he he made uh, Ortega look like nothing when he was on the bottom. I think it's gonna scare a lot of people for the rest of his career to just go to the ground with him. Like is this what you're gonna pay? Like it's very 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 like I, I was very very surprised by how good his ground and pound is and and how long he can go and. I think if the zombie doesn't hurt him early, it's gonna be uh, gonna be pretty quick. I actually think Volkanovski is gonna stop zombie like the one three or four. You know, so, something that's interesting that you just mentioned is that you know Brian Ortega is of course famous for his jujitsu and he's incredibly dangerous as a sprint grappler. Um, but I kind of just think. Chang Sung Jun is like a more just like well-rounded, fundamentally sound grappler than Brian Ortega. He's like a fucking immortal anti-wrestler. And I, I just really hope we get to see the grappling dynamic play out a little bit in this one because Alexander Volkanovsky is someone who will take down almost all of his opponents if it's there. You know, it just kind of wasn't there against Max Holloway and Jose Aldo. Um, but I'd be really interested to see how it plays out if he does try to grapple with the Korean zombie because um, he is both incredibly competent in that phase and also at his most dangerous when punishing phase shifts. But yeah, I agree. I think I'm picking uh, Volkanovski like round four knockout. Uh, I was going to pick Volkanovski round three or four knockout, but just for variety's sake, I'm going to say round two. And I also want to add, I do think we're going to get... Uh, kind of more brawler korean zombie because if he starts getting like really tuned up by uh by like jabs and just reacting to every faint he's just gonna start fucking throwing because that's what he knows at least that's what i think he's gonna do i don't think he's gonna be able to maintain the composure that he's he showed against Ige in, in this type of matchup so i i do think they're gonna do a little bit of brawling early and just to be romantic a little bit, let's just add that Zombie probably knows it's his last ever title shot, or like last shot at the title. So mm -hmm. I just hope he looks like fucking amazing <laughs> and get a good performance. But yeah, it's very tough, except picking Max in the featherweight fight. Do not pick Volkanovski for all the reasons we mentioned. So you got to pick him. 
But since you guys both picked it, I'm going to pick a Korean zombie first round knockout because it'd be cool. Like how how cool would it be? It would be fucking sick. Everybody loves the Korean zombie. If you know it, you're you're cold hearted person. I would be happy, but I would be mad also. No, it'd be sick. You couldn't even be mad. It'd be it'd just be it'd be fucking bananas. It'd, it'd be some GSP Matt Sarah shit. And I would be happy because I love zombie for forever. But I need Volk to win for a long time. I mean, I just need to see him fight Max Holloway again. Okay, and then so moving on in the co-main event, a rematch to unify the bantamweight title, uh, Aljamain Sterling versus Petey Yan. Of course, everybody knows what happened in the first fight. Aljamain Sterling came out, kind of had some good ideas that gave him some early success, but, you know, was something of a victim of his own pace and wasn't able to adjust when Petey Yan start figuring him out down the stretch, and then Petey knocked him out with an illegal knee, Then Aljamain Sterling won. Easy fight. Um, yeah, given how the first fight ended up going, and just how hard it is to see Petey losing at Bantamweight right now, I kind of think we should be approaching this one more from a perspective of, like, what does Aljamain Sterling do to not get fucking killed this time? So I don't know. What do you guys think? I think what Aljo has shown to be doing is just get more jacked because there's a picture of him going around where he looks insanely like muscular now. So he might he just looks like Francis and Garnu is banana. Yeah, he might just be trying to like focus in on being able to fuck him up in the first two rounds and just submit him because he he didn't have zero success grappling Yan throughout the fight. Even in the later rounds, he was still like stalling Yan at least. So maybe if he thinks he's just stronger, he'll be able to stall him longer and, and maybe win the first two rounds just on an aggression, then like struggle real hard through the third round and then just stall. Just make sure that he wins and, and try and lame it out. But uh, also, I think he's going to come in with some good ideas. Like, I don't think he's going to look awful. Uh, Yan, of course, is going to have a lot of reads coming in because that's just like he, he does really well in rematches in the, the one rematch to my knowledge that he's had. Against uh, Magomed Magomedov, it is. So Yan has a history of winning a, the rematch he has had, and he looked fantastic in it after losing the first one. So, you know, the, the first one he didn't even like really lose; he just kind of illegally need the guy. Uh, so, you know, I don't think Aljo is is gonna do much more to win this fight. I, I do think he's gonna show some more success, but also get fucked up even harder. So it's gonna be kind of rough for him. Like, I, I, and I don't think his success is going to wear on Yan. I think it's more just going to maybe seal around for him a little bit clearer. Like, even the first round against Yan, he got dropped in their first fight. So you can't even say that he was winning those rounds. He was just doing okay for the minutes. He was, was doing okay, but I think Yan was still a bit ahead. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Like, when you see those jackies and... Um... Oh, it is. You gotta wonder if you're German standing in his team, what you're gonna do anyway. Do you try to do the same thing you did in the first fight, or do you try to even go harder and know that you only like maybe a 12, 20 minutes window, and then the fight is out of your hands? I think that's what they think, and um, yeah, I think Adjo is gonna go <laughs> even harder in one number one and take some risk, but I don't think it's gonna work. 
Um, like I said, I don't think Jan will take that much time to make some reads. Like I think after maybe a round or half a round, he will start feeling more comfortable and having the information he wants from standing, like from his wrestling or his striking. And as long as Sterling doesn't really hurt Jan on the feet or really surprise him, there's no way he will succeed grappling with him. And I think that will always be the problem with Sterling, like... Let's get it right. Sterling is super, super good. Like, of course, he's a great fighter. To me, he's really like a top five at 135 pretty easily. But as long as he's just going to touch Yan and and he won't bother him, Yan he, he, will get his game easy, going pretty easily. I think also Yan Eigard is very, very, very fluid. Like, he can stop the shot upstairs, but stop the grappling with it pretty fast, and it doesn't make him uh, moving backwards all the time. So I think uh, I'm going to pick in this one pretty early. Ian by Carol one number one, actually. Wow. Damn. I like that energy. Something I wonder about is that, um, I don't know, people have said that Corey Sandhagen versus Peter Yan like, wasn't even competitive. It was just Yan winning easily the whole time. And um, I kind of take umbrage with that. And I also definitely think that there is some stuff that you see in that fight that is foreshadowing how Peter Yan may very well lose a fight eventually. Because he's he's a slow starter because he likes to build into fights. You know, he he likes to give away some give away some of the early rounds to to like make his reads and let guys wear themselves out and kind of just like a lot of the time like walk people down and put them put them in uncomfortable positions without actually even throwing that much and i think you see in the first couple of rounds of that Corey sandhagen fight if you can just like keep your feet moving and although pian does have a very adaptive high guard like Corey sandhagen had a lot of success like throwing away shots to put his guard in place and then work around it and hit the body was having a lot of success when the with the hand fight and I just think um, Aljamain Sterling, he knew that he had to push Peter Yan back, but he couldn't sustain the pace that he needed to, like, to be able to keep doing that, even though he was landing well on Peter Yan early. And like I say, for a lot of that fight, Yan was actually just being like, pretty negative on the front foot just kind of mitigating offense and just like letting Aljamain Sterling wear himself out and just like do just like doing sweeps and shit. Um but then I wonder, you know, is, is there anything in the success that Corey Sanhagen was having against Yan like compared to the way that Aljamain Sterling was able to beat Pedro Munoz? Um and then it's like well probably not. <laughs> Because even though that's a really good performance, Pedro Munoz has, you know, been showing himself to be outmaneuvered by long guys with good mobility who can just move around on the outside and do a bunch of weird stuff. And, you know, even in that fight, the, it was, that was starting to wear on Sterling by the last round. You know, if I, if I may add something real quick. Yep. It's funny you say that because to me, the Yan Sandegan fight... It reassured me pretty well that Yan's gonna knock out Sterling. Because if Sandagon wasn't that crazy durable, that fight is over in one number three. 
Uh, yeah, probably. And uh, it's not that Sterling is not durable. I mean, he took some big shots before and he seems to be pretty, pretty strong too. But just because Jan starts pretty slow, it's obvious. And But as he had only four, almost four rounds with Sterling, I think it really won't take him long to start. And as soon no, as that's, that's something I was going to get to. As soon as he's going to understand what is um, Aljo's game plan, especially if Aljo starts strong, I think that's what I believe. Maybe I'm wrong. It's okay. That Jan is going okay, okay, to defocus on hurting Sterling. Like, okay, you want to start strong? I'm going to stop you right there. And that's why I think we're going to stop stop Edge very early. But yeah, I think uh, my take on Jan since the Sunday gun fight actually, I think better of him than, uh, than before the, the fight happened. Oh, I agree. It's a fantastic performance. I just think um, the, the success that Corey Sandhagen ha- had in that fight has been really undercut. Oh, yeah, for sure. But yeah, I, that was something I was going to get to, is that I don't know if Jan even needs to have that slower start and it is going to have to give away any of the fight. And th- this time, just just having already, just yeah, like you say, been in there with Sterling and having had time to figure him out and having had all of this time probably just absolutely just stewing with rage about not having his belt because he's stupid and legally need the guy. So yeah, I think he probably wants this one back and he's probably going to fuck Aljamain up pretty bad. But um, one adjustment that I'd like to see uh, Yan make and something I'd like to uh, kind of narrative from the first fight that uh, I'd like to address is that I'd like to see Yan grapple with Aljamain Sterling because he appears to he appeared to be just completely fucking terrified of Aljamain Sterling's guard in that first fight, which I thought was quite strange that he would keep... The, the, the people have, like... You know, you know, people keep talking about how much he... Uh, Jan dunked on Sterling in the wrestling, but he kind of just kept, kept giving Sterling time to chill. Because... Like, Sterling's win condition is to be on the ground. If the guy's going to take him down and he gets to just, like, play guard and be in an area of the fight where he's way more comfortable than getting his ass whooped on the feet, then that's just, like... It's just, like, giving the guy time unnecessarily if you're not just going to get on top and fuck the guy up, which P.E.N. is really good at doing, and I don't know why he just wouldn't do, because it seemed like, you know, if, if he really just wants to break Sterling, beat him everywhere, beat him even where he thinks he has the advantage, where you know, Jan very well may have the technical edge if he's on top and, you know, Sterling's already becoming a victim of the pace that, that, that they're fighting on the feet. But I've heard people talk about, oh, Jan, he, he just easily top game Sterling the whole time. Watch that fight back. He doesn't get on top at all. Like one time he tries to land ground and pound, ground and pound, and uh, Sterling just does some weird shit with his legs and Jan's like, oh, didn't like that. Better, 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 better stand back and throw a low kick every 30 seconds. So just like, um, I mean, yeah, yeah, and he's, he's an incredible fighter. It's really no slight on Sterling to say that this is, seems just like a basically unwinnable matchup for him because I think it's really unfair that like another narrative that's come up in that time is that Sterling's just bad, which is unfair because like you say, he's clearly, you know, top five at worst. Um, yeah, it's just another one of the most well-rounded and brilliantly brilliantly adaptable fighters in the sport today. And yeah, I think he's probably going to knock Aljamain Sterling out within three rounds. But like Jan Simps, the man is beatable, theoretically. 
eventually he's gonna he's just gonna give too much of the early fight away and he's gonna have too much to get back. Yeah, also something to mention is Aljo's like kind of foot slow. He's not like actively foot slow, but he like he just kind of he he doesn't move super quickly, you know? Like his mechanics he kind of like he'll plod whenever he's trying to do combinations. Like he's not Corey Sandhagen. Like Sandhagen is is like a very special guy, and that he was able to maneuver around Yen even when tired in the fifth round, just by like a, a mix of feints and getting away. But he also lost that round, even though it was it was just like a room a round he needed to chill out and work on not getting finished, which is he did incredibly well. So I don't think Aljo is going to be able to hang out on the back foot like at all because in the first fight he got dropped pretty much the moment that he stopped keeping Yan against the fence. So I'm I'm going to pick uh, Yan to break him over four and then finish him with something actually normal in the fourth opposed to an illegal technique. <laughs> Even though I do think he's going to start faster, I just think he's he's not going to like press for the finish. He's just going to fuck him up. Like I don't think he's going to press that much for the finish. I just think it's going to happen fast. I just, it's just more like something that... Uh... A good feeling, you know, like that. I just see Stalin taking a shot and being fucking dead on the ground, be like, "Oh my god!" Like he killed him for real, you know, like. <laughs> um, but what you say about the ground uh, work from Yan and Aljo Silas is right. Like um, to me, I always saw Petro Yan, you know, like trips and sweeps, where he's very good at it. Just a way to stop people with him, but never to walk that much behind it. And I think that's why he never went to the ground that much with Aljo. Like, why take the risk, you know? Even though he's very good on top, it would just be, I can just frustrate him, him a little bit, send him to the ground and just start where, where I belong. And I think he would do that again. Well, I hope we get to see him on top. Yeah, I'm not sure. But maybe once he will knock down Sterling very bad. But I'm a bit worried about Sterling coming into that fight, to be honest. <laughs> Well, we did the sense that he, he takes a beating, like a bad, bad beating, but we'll see. Yeah, it's also rough for Aljo that uh, he hasn't had a fight since that to like kind of sh- like just get bet- more acclimated to fighting again. While Yan has had another fight that was like the best performance of his career. Yeah, and also he, he he got a surgery between the two fights, right? Like a neck. I surgery? believe so. Yeah. That's one of the reasons also that makes me feel like, yeah, I'm not too sure about that. But Yeah, it feels rough for Aljo. Yeah, it does. This gym always has some crazy injuries. And when I think Aljo, I think white man. And when I think next surgery, I think oh, no. get knocked out. Please don't break your leg. Sorry. <laughs> but um, hopefully it's a good fight. Hopefully, you know, Aljo's had time to come up with some new ideas and... Hopefully we we see some stuff that we didn't think of. Hopefully it's interesting. Hopefully. Okay. So the next fight down. Um Kamsat Chimaev fighting Gilbert Burns. And um, you know, as uh, a hipster analysis dork, I always want to be that guy when the big hype train comes rolling around. It's like, oh, well, we haven't seen him tested in certain situations and these kind of matchups. And we don't, we can't know that, you know, he he's able to do that. And I'm just like, 
you know what? This time, I think I'm just, I'm just going to get on the hype train. I'm just going to just pick Kamsat uh, Shamayo to just destroy everyone. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I think Shamayo is going to knock him out in the first round. Uh, my analysis for why is, you know, we haven't seen him beat this matchup, but we also haven't seen him lose to it. And he's real fucking athletic. He's uh, this is kind of a middleweight fighting a lightweight. Shamayev is absolutely fucking enormous for a welterweight. Like I genuinely don't know how sustainable it's going to be for him to fight at that weight. Yeah, and Burns is just a decent sized welterweight. People are wondering what happens if Shamayev gets extended in a fight. Oh, we've seen what happens when Gilbert Burns gets extended in a fight, and um, and uh, and uh, it's not good. Um, of course, Burns. He's fast, he's dynamic, he's a great jiu-jitsu player. But Shamayev, he's just clearly a very technically well-schooled fighter everywhere, and he's just insanely talented. He's a physical specimen that the division is just, like, not equipped to deal with. Um, and he, he just is developing at a rate that is just uh, absolutely unfathomable for a guy who's actually been fighting professionally as long as he has, but then also has... Uh, from what I understand, a really solid lifelong wrestling background. So he's he's probably just going to knock the shit out of Gilbert Burns. You know, another thing people people say is, well, what happens when Shamayev can't grapple with someone? Well, we've actually seen that um, before he got to the UFC. His fight in to Brave or Titan, I don't remember the guy's name, but he was a signed by a world-class champion. Shamayev couldn't take him down for love nor money. And um, he just like... Uh, got him with a really slick counter uppercut to the to his opponent's jab. Um, he just showed fantastic natural timing and instincts, um, and also just insane power. Like the guy went completely stiff, out cold, and his mouthpiece went flying. I don't know, Chmaev. He's he's just, he's just the guy, right? Yeah, to me. Um, like, you know what you said? Like to be a bit like a hipster, you want to be like, oh, this guy didn't face this, this, this. Normally, I'm this guy with him. I've never been. He probably the only I've trained that has been really, really, really high on. Because I remember I missed his first fight in Fight Island, maybe like two years ago, a year ago. I forgot. And Christian told me, oh, you should check out this guy. He's pretty good. And so I called Christian and. We watched every fight there was possible for him, from Bray, from other things. And we watched maybe like six, seven fights. And I told Christian, I said, okay, nobody's going to beat this guy at welterweight. <laughs> like, I don't care the level of the opponent. Uh, Saturday is going to fight an opponent that's very, very, very good. So there will be no more the level of the opponent. It's, you don't need to be a genius to see that Chimaev is a real problem. First, like you said, he's so big. I don't even know he makes the weight. This is the the only only matters is how long he's gonna fight welterweight. Maybe one year, two years, then there's no way you can keep dropping that low in the weight. But when you see him fighting, I remember seeing fighting maybe like his third or fourth professional fight. And he knocked out a dude with a uppercut and he pivot out of it, you know, behind it just for safety, even though the day the guy was dead in the ground. Yeah, that's what I mean. He 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 nerling striking a few years and he still had like those kind of instincts but behind his behind his striking. It's not just athletic power that 
Ed Sauveur, the lack of skills, like a heavyweight or something like that. He just is very skilled and he's super crazy athletic. And he seems to be like someone who can take a shot and everything. The only way I can see Chimaev lose so far is that on those crazy level chains they do like to say, for example, to find the high kick and go super, super, super low and crazy speed just to catch something, you know, to, to get an uppercut to, or someone who's very good level change counter, smack him with a knee or something. Except for this, I just don't see how you do once he touches you. Like, I think like even Usman, who's pretty big, I think he will look fucking small <laughs> against Chimaev. And so Burns, who's a fighter that I like a lot, who can maybe do a few cool jujitsu stuff on the ground that get him to even get back up or survive one or two times. I think if he survives more than seven, eight minutes, it will already be pretty, pretty, pretty good look for him. Like, I think she might have just going to run through him. I would like, though, to see someone stop his first takedowns and just see a bit of more like uh, subtlety in the striking. For example, I would like to see Chimaev's plan A, not working, and see how he can adjust, just to have more, like, read on him. But uh, I think Burns is going to be game. He's going to play it pretty well. He's going to do a good effort. But kind of like the Petroyan aljo fight, I don't see him having much success. Like, after five, six minutes, I think he's going <clears throat> to be way too much. So we're we all picking Gamayev by like first or second round. Finish? Yeah, I think so. Probably the first. First, probably, maybe. Yeah. Know, took him took him two rounds to finish. John, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna say, say I'm, I'm gonna, gonna say, say early, early second. second. <laughs> but you know something that's really really also scary about this is that you have like the number one, number two pound for pound, at least for us or like for. A lot of people think that Volkanovski and Jan are like very the top of the food chain fighting. And when you ask people what are the most excited about this event is Chimaev Burns. Yep. Tells you how crazy popular Chimaev is, but also tells you also sometimes that you don't need to be like an analyst to, to watch ton of fight to see when someone is like super, super good. And um, yeah, just seeing Chimaev is... As long as you don't have any trouble with the weight cut, like that we'll see in a fight, it's tough to pick him, uh, to not pick him at welterweight. At middleweight, it's a different story, but at welterweight. Yeah, and just, e- e- just even big. in middleweight, the hard matchups for him are in like the top three. Whitaker. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know what? Even though if you pick Whitaker, like, because Whitaker will be, be awesome first, <laughs> it would be a great fight. Mm. Um, I'd like to see Chimaev against Vettori. Bronson, not saying he will struggle as much, but I would like to see it, though, because there's still a size thing that might hide something. But I would like to see it. I would still think he struggled a little bit more, but I'd like to see it. Because Vettori also has, like, a crazy chin, pretty strong. So I think Chimaev would win, but I would like to see it more in the future. I'm more interested in Chimaev's career in middleweight than welterweight. That's yeah, what it I mean. seems like he's... Like he's just like theoretically unbeatable at welterweight. I'm, I'm just like, how can anyone deal with this? It's insane. Like the the fact that he, you you know, he's also just a fighter who pushes his win condition immediately. 
you know, he's taken one strike in the UFC and, you know, you can say, well, there's context to that. And I'm like, well, yeah, but that also still doesn't happen by accident. And he was like, well, you know, the the leech has problems with his grappling. He got 30-26 by Jake Matthews. I'm like, well, Jake Matthews didn't run up to him and immediately pick him up like a child and then go talk to Dana White while he, like, carried him over to his corner so he could talk to his friends while he won easily. This guy's a fucking freak. You know, you see the videos from him, like, even just playing with Gustafsson in the gym, where Gustafsson is, like, too... 30 pounds something like that and um, and I think there's one thing though about Shimaev is that he starts so fast that maybe one day he's gonna get countered like I said and get dropped but I think he's the type of dude to just get back up and being even more mad about it and not stopping you know um, but the only thing I, I'm scared kinda for him that I'm scared is not gonna last for a few for that long of a career like when you hear the stories, he trains five day, uh, five times, five times a day. He does this, he does that. I'm like, okay, this guy. The clearly insane weight cut as well. well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm afraid that like in three years, be like, oh, remember that dude? He was so good before he got injured two hundred times that year, you know. But so far, he's not. So let's just enjoy. Okay, Pep, you you, you want to talk Mackenzie Dern versus Tisha Torres? Why not? <laughs> I mean. I like T-shirt dress. And I love WMMA so much more than most people that probably listen to that, that talk MMA in general. That I mean, us too. We, we, we talk about a, a lot of women's matchups. I know, I know, I know. You guys are the good ones. But um, So, like, uh, you know, I was trying to, like, you know, sometimes you're looking at matchups and you're trying to intellectualize them and go into some actual degree of technical depth. And then sometimes you just like can boil a dynamic down to just like, oh, Tisha Torres should just like easily pick Mackenzie Dern apart, but might get submitted randomly. Yeah. That's, kind of, that's kind of it. Like Tisha Torres, she's just a very well-rounded fighter. I feel like she's just going to have the brain thinking not to go to the ground with Mackenzie Dern. You know, she'll take, she'll go for takedowns if it's the play, but also showed against Angela Hill she, she can just like comfortably outstrike someone from range without having to go for takedowns um, and she's really fast and can cover she's really small but she can cover a lot of distance quickly and um, Mackenzie Dern is um, uh, slow and bad at striking but she is um, like big and athletic and like the most significant submission threat in the division so I, I don't know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Tisha Torres by a decision I think that uh, Tisha is probably going to get her back taken and maybe lose a round just on like Mackenzie chill on the back. But I do think it's going to be like Tisha kind of just winning a decision by out, out striking her. Yeah. I mean, Tisha was, um, she was giving her back to Angela Hill, like just defending certain clinch situations. It's not really something you want to do against Mackenzie. Don't she may very well just like just instantly backpack you. And now you've got to, stand up with with someone who's way bigger than you who's got a body triangle on you for like three minutes could be rough um but i don't know i think tisha torres is just like good enough to chill in those positions and ride it out and go back to like winning on the feet easily i did not expect the three of us to pick tisha torres right <laughs> it seems really rough for her but 
it, it just when 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 I actually talk about it, it just kind of seems like the pick. But you know, when when we when you check a little bit his uh, her record, she lost to really the best of the best in the division, like to Rose, Andrade, Joanna Zhang, and Marina Rodriguez, who's better than, like I would say, um, Mackenzie Dern. Well, I mean, she beat the shit out of Mackenzie Dern, so. But like she has, she has good wins, and she's been fighting forever, also Tisha. And also, just like but, to, uh, to do to do some like stupid MMA math, like Mackenzie Dern was like kind of getting hossed around in the clinch by Hannah Cyphers before Hannah Cyphers submitted herself. Hannah Cyphers got knocked out in the clinch by Angela Hill, and Tisha Torres had like basically no problem in the clinch with Angela Hill. Well, like you said, I think also Tisha she has so much experience. That if she's gonna like, give her back, you know, do something a bit not stupid but risky, she will do it with like forty or fifty seconds left, you know, like trying something else. And um, I can see a sloppy, not super entertaining, but still dominating this decision for for Tisha, who just mix it up a bit. But I can see her taking them down just to throw off her striking also. You know, just one of those Dominic Cruz takedown, like. Yeah. Yeah, just seal the round. Yeah, if there's like 10 seconds left, like, why, why the fuck? No, you're not going to get submitted. I like Tisha. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think Mackenzie's also going to get thrown to the floor a few times. Like, just aggressively rushing in, and then Tisha's just going to, like, pivot off and, like, shrug her to the floor. That's not really, like, analysis, just, like, a feel. <laughs> just the thing that might happen. Look out for that. It should be a good fight, though. I like I like this booking. Oh, Pippa, anyone else? Any anything else on this card you want to give a mention before you dip? Well, uh, yeah. Normally, there should have been Chris Curtis on this, and um, some other fighter are pretty cool. Mavov also. So it sucks that they are not on there. Yeah, this card was looking a lot more interesting a few weeks ago. It's taken some unfortunate uh, cancellations that have. Left it looking a little bit thin. Yeah, it's pretty rough now. But the three main fights, they are very, very good. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, I, I love Zombie for, for a long time. He's been one of my favorites. But now he's fighting my favorite. So I'm very, very... I think I'm more interested in Zombie Vogue than most people. Like, I'm, it's it's my most interested fight in the, in this card. Um, yeah, I don't think Zombie's going to win, but I think it's going to be cool. I think it's going to be kind of like the Ortega fight, but at least simply accept that I, that I see a finish. But like, yeah, I would just hope that this card help people, even like a wider audience, to understand how good Volkanovski is and how we can enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> Otherwise, that no, I don't have any other fighter that, that I see that I could be breakthrough performance or anything. All right, cool. Well, um, you want to just shout out your stuff? Where can people find you online? Sure. Yeah, you can follow what I do on Sweet Punch Memories on Twitter and YouTube. Otherwise, you can talk to me on ASAP underscore people on, on Twitter and come say hi. Yeah, well, thanks for coming That's, on, man. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. You have the best podcast. I fucking love you. Love to listen to you. So it was nice to be here. Oh, love you too, man. Always great having you having you around. Okay.
Um, should we just do some quick hits on these last few ones then? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think the only fights we even need to mention are that like Rosenstruck Tabura is grappler versus striker. Aspen Lad Raquel is uh, is a test to see if Aspen Lad actually decides to throw a strike. <laughs> Making all Mike Malott's going to be cool because Malott should be good but could get outgridded. But it isn't uh, Malott's thing that he's a striking coach, so everyone tries to take him down, and then he outscrambles them and submits them. Yep. Yeah, that's his thing. Which, you know, for fighting Mickey Gall, you know, that's a fun dynamic. I mean, Mickey Gall's going to try to take down everyone. Um, uh, we could totally just add us talking right now to the thing, because I'm still recording. <laughs> is that not what we were going to do? I mean, I, I guess that's what we're doing. Yeah, no, no, and no. no. This, is, this, Michelle, this is the podcast, Mark Madsen. Oh, fuck Vince Michelle versus Mark Madsen. <laughs> I just, I can't, I, I just, uh, oh, and Ian Gary, you know. Uh, versus Darian Weeks is weird. Budget Conor McGregor. He's fighting Darian Weeks. I mean. Weeks is very experienced. He could actually give Gary a hard fight. I mean, given that Gary's last opponent also gave him a hard fight and they were trying to prop up a can for Ian Gary to knock oh, yeah, over. Ian Gary's not that good. Yeah, he's, he's definitely not great. But uh, I think this might still be uh, like a fight he's going to win. Darren Weeks isn't a huge guy and he's he's had losses on the amateur circuit. He's lost in the UFC. But he, he's a decent fighter. I, I think it'll, it'll end up being entertaining at least even if uh, nothing of note comes of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so we're really struggling with this undercard right here. There's just stars. Uh, there's not a whole long, lot to grab onto. Like you said, Tabori Rosenstruck is like might kind of slap. But I, th- there's almost no way that that fight's like just depressingly awful because it's either Rosenstruck getting a silly early knockout or marching Tabora just like gritting out someone he kind of has no uh, business beating, which has happened before. So that could be fun. Or it could be an awful staring match because, you know, also fuck Jarzinho Rosenstroke. Yeah, it may upset some people that I'm going to say this, but Rosenstroke Tabura is kind of like as good of a grappler versus striker technician match as you're going to see at heavyweight. Because like Tabura, can, he can box some. He can box some. He, he's pretty good on top and then Rosenstruck he's got some moves to defend grappling and he's powerful on the feet he can get shots off and then the clinch is probably going to be a little interesting I don't know I don't think there's like deep analysis on picking this fight uh, other than like you know Rosenstruck hits harder so he's probably going to knock him out it's just a good heavyweight rule to go by mm-hmm. well I mean you say that's the the best grappler striker matchup you're going to get at heavyweight but also on this card supposedly is Alexia Leinick versus Jared Vanderar. Um Yeah, if that fight actually happens, it should be neat. Yeah. But, you know, I'm going to talk about Alexia Leinick fights when they happen because we keep talking about him and he never, never, uh, never makes it to the fight. And then, first fight on the entire card, Julio Arce is fighting Daniel Santos. You know, Julio Arce, he's fun technician. He's a boy of the site. Um, I don't know who Daniel Santos is. Making his UFC debut kind of just seems like one for Arce to get back on the horse after a rough loss to Songy Dong. 
Yeah, Anthony Fluffy Hernandez is fighting a guy who's just got 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 no shine off of getting the six admission win over Hadolfo Vieira. Yeah, we're we're just a mess right now. I guess you you want to wrap up, Christian? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we didn't go in very good order, but that I feel like that's the best way to handle having a guest on. Yeah, that's kind of that's that's just kind of the vibe, you know. We're both pretty high, <laughs> quite. Um, but not as high as we were when we recorded bonus content for the Patreon the other day. Fantastic segue. Fuck yeah. Um. Yeah, if you enjoyed this fucking shit show and all the other stuff we got going on on the site, uh, consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, for just a $3 pledge, you get access to a huge library of fantastic, high-quality analytical fight content. Um, we also recorded a video that's going to be going up on there sometime this week. Just uh, chilling out, watching a bunch of J-Kick. Fun, informal bonus kind of thing. Definitely Definitely check that out, particularly if uh, if you haven't really seen much of the world of J-Kick. But then uh, for just $2 extra, there's you also gain access to a Discord server where we have a really cool community, a bunch of guys from different backgrounds of combat sports. We have some really interesting discussions and a regularly host fight night watch parties. So yeah, that's a ton of fun. You should, you should come, come hang out, watch some fights with us. Yeah, this has been the Forbidden Technique podcast. You can catch us next week where we're going to be recapping all the action from UFC 273 as well as hitting a preview of next week's UFC Fight Night card headlined by a really interesting top contenders match at welterweight. A rematch actually between Vicente Luke and Bilal Mohamed. So yeah, you can catch us for that. We'll see you later. Peace. Later. Later.